Yeah. So Lights of Hope is this phenomenal um, annual fundraiser. It's now called Lights of Hope Across America. It has evolved because of COVID. We used to just do the event in D.C. and it's now happens in towns and on steps of state capitals across the entire country. And the whole it, it, the whole idea is that there are so many stories out there and this is a visual representation of that through a light of hope. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. As ever, I am your host, Michael Holtz, in the communications and marketing department at ORAU. And I am thrilled to pieces about this episode. And Matthew Underwood, my co-host. Matthew, I can't wait for you to meet my friend Lisa. I'm so excited about this episode. Yeah, I'm how so are you, sir? I'm doing good. We, you know, we've talked about you know this whole cancer thing and cancer awareness throughout the organization. So I'm excited to bring in a guest who has a little bit more to talk about that and talk to you a little bit as well. Absolutely. So my friend, and I'm so thrilled I get to call her my friend. My friend Lisa Lacasse, who is the president of the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, for which I have been both an advocate and a staff member um, in my career. Um, and currently am a volunteer advocate, um, is joining us today. Lisa, welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Thank you, Michael and Matthew. So nice to meet you. And um, I too am beyond happy to be here. This is a passion moment to be able to talk about the work that I do and that Michael and I do together on behalf of cancer patients and their families. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled that you could join us. And, um, you know, ACS CAN is, of all of the advocacy work that I do, ACS CAN is the organization that I love to volunteer with the most um, because we are all supremely passionate from, from your office down, Lisa, to um, doing everything that we can to end cancer as we know it from a policy perspective. Um, you have been around the organization for a while, so I just wanted to talk first kind of about that and how long you've been with ACS CAN, um, what brought you to the organization, and really, you know, it's a big question, but where we're going, because yeah. it's so exciting. Let me just say that um, this has truly been passion um, work. I have been at several organizations, but I've been at the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network for over 15 years now, which is really an incredible thing to say. Um, I always think of myself as young, but that tells you that I'm a little bit old. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, like so many of your listeners, um, have, you know, a cancer story, right? For me, it was, it's my, uh, one of my uncles who died very young of cancer. He was huge part of my life. And my sister is a survivor, uh, my brother-in-law. So, you know, just like everyone, we all have 
an opportunity to kind of connect through this story of cancer in ways that um, we all kind of wish we didn't. Um, but it is a it's a unifier in a lot of ways. And and one of the, there were a couple things that I loved about ACS Can and attracted me to coming here. Importantly. Um, it was an organization that has such an incredibly strong mission to really elevate the voice of the cancer patient. And I had done public policy. I'm a political science major undergrad. And so I'd actually gotten a job in public policy. I worked for the governor of Maine, my very first job out of college. And then I had other jobs. And then I got this opportunity. And it sort of felt like so many ways that I was coming home because I have always felt strongly about you know, government having a, an important role in helping people live better lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really the case with public policy advocacy that ACS CAN does. And so our whole underlying, you know, operating principle is that, you know, elected officials and policymakers, no matter where they are, at a city council member, maybe even be a school board member, a state legislator, a member of Congress, the president of the United States, no matter who wow. those people are, they have incredible power by making cancer issues that are issues that are important to cancer patients and their families a priority. And they can be a champion in the work that they do. The reason that they were elected is to vote on issues and pass laws and change things to better people's lives. And there's a big opportunity for those elected officials to champion an issue that can be so critical to a cancer patient. And I think that one of the things um, that's so great, and Michael, I'm sure we'll get to talking about our volunteers, but I think sometimes elected officials don't necessarily think about the role that they can have in fighting cancer. And that's where we come in and we're able to really elevate our issues and tell them because we know they're passionate about cancer. We've never met anyone that's not passionate about cancer. And so how do we help them in their jobs as elected officials be able to connect to our cancer agenda and actually do something about it, something that's really meaningful and really, really impactful. So that was the reason I came because I love public policy, but I also have felt like we have so much opportunity to help people um, in a just and equitable way um, potentially prevent a cancer through, you know, good, healthy um, awareness, detect it early. If you are a person that has to hear those words, you have cancer, ensure that you have, have access to the best possible um, care. And then, you know, really support someone through their survivorship or, you know, their post-cancer um, diagnosis journey. Right, right. All of which is so important to me personally, as someone who has heard those words, you have cancer. Um, and it's a huge part of what drives me as a volunteer for ACS CAN. Um, ACS CAN, we, we like to say, and it's true, we are a volunteer-driven organization. From your perspective, what does that mean? Yeah, so ACS CAN, so the American, we're part of the American Cancer Society. American Cancer Society is 3,000 employees, right? It's this huge, amazing, 110-year-old organization. ACS CAN's a little bit younger. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary in 2021. Um, and we only, we have about 200 employees, a little bit less than that, actually, about 190 employees. 
So if you think about it in the context of 3,000 person organization, we're pretty small from a mm-hmm. from a number standpoint, but we cover local government, as I mentioned, city councils, um, state legislatures, of which there are 50 state capitals, Guam, Puerto Rico, District of Columbia, um, and the federal government. You can't do that with only about 190 people. It's just, that's, a, that's an impossible task. And the way we do it is through grassroots mobilization. And so that means that we get volunteers who feel passionate about the work that we're doing, like Michael, and we train them. We give them actual job descriptions. Um, that grassroots structure is organized through congr- by congressional district. So 435 geographic pods across the country, as well as state lead ambassadors for all 50 states. And so those volunteers are really exponential workforce and, um, you know, really allows us to talk to elected officials through their constituent voice, which is what they care about the most, right? They care about their constituents. That's why they have their jobs. That's why they decide to run for office. And so we do have paid lobbyists and that's all an important part of the model. But our power um, is comes from the patient voice that's a constituent to an elected official that we're trying to influence um, that they work on our issues and champion our issues. So it is not only are we volunteer led, but it is the basis of our operating model. ACS CAN's entire business model only works because of a, because of volunteers like Michael. And that is a very organized structure, but that's how we work. And without volunteers, we literally would have to pick and choose what states we were working in, what issues we were working on. And that would mean that some cancer patients in certain geographies across the country might not have a voice. We don't think that would be good. Um, And so our underlying tenant is that every person in America deserves a voice in their government as it relates to preventing, treating, or surviving cancer. Absolutely. So Lisa, can you share a little bit about particular volunteers and kind of the work that they've done to kind of contribute to that overall mission? Yeah. So a really proud moment happened not too, too long ago. The Washington Post does it like a daily blog and they referenced the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. They said our name and they said the powerful, the most powerful, the powerful ACS can. Right. And so you don't get a a, a nod like that in the Washington Post, unless you actually are doing work that it has influence and people feel like your voice is influential. Right. So I can, um, let me go to a passion issue that we've been working on for well over 10 years, 13 years now, when the Affordable Care Act was passed. So people hear the Affordable Care Act, they hear Obamacare and they immediately think politics. We translate that our work, although we're, we work in the political realm, we are not partisan at all. We're we're issue we're an issue lobbying organization. We don't care if it's a Democratic issue, it's a Republican issue. If it's a cancer issue, then we care about it. And so, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, there was a vision that everyone below a certain poverty rate would be able to would enroll on Medicaid. So they would, and so the whole idea of any sort of insurance coverage is that you're taking gaps in insurance and you're figuring out ways to fill them. And for a lot of people, insurance was either not affordable 
they weren't being covered because they had pre-existing conditions, um, all sorts of issues. And we know foundationally that if you don't have some sort of insurance coverage, you're certainly not going to go pay, you know, a thousand dollars out of pocket to get screened. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Right. So having insurance is one of the most important foundational issues um, in order to be able to achieve our goal of ending cancer as we know it for everyone. So fast forward after the bills passed, major Supreme Court decision, and there was a decision made that Medicaid could not be required to expand. Every single state had to make the decision to expand Medicaid. Um, Several states did that immediately. Several states did not. And so ACS CAN has made it a major legislative priority to go state by state and pass Medicaid expansion. That sometimes it's happened through uh, executive order for a governor. Sometimes it can go through a leg- the legislature. Sometimes it has to go to ballot. So the past couple of years, we've had two huge wins. One in South Dakota. Um, you know, there were 45,000 people in South Dakota who could not access affordable health insurance because they haven't expanded Medicaid. I can assure you that part of the country um, was not necessarily embracing expanding government, you know, for all the reasons, for whatever reason. And the, we were able to, through our volunteer voice and grassroots mobilization, elevate the importance of Medicaid expansion in North Dakota. And ACS CAN was able to really um, change the narrative of what people in North Dakota thought about when they thought about Medicaid. They heard Medicaid and they saw a certain thing in their mind and they didn't think it was what they needed to support. When ACS CAN and our volunteers were able to really elevate the patient story, who didn't have insurance? Farmers in North in, in South Dakota who, you know, family farmers who just couldn't afford it, neighbors who maybe they ran a small business, they couldn't afford it. And once we were able to, through that patient voice, really talk about what was Medicaid expansion, really, it was providing insurance coverage for people's neighbors, their friends down the street, someone who worked part-time because they had a child and that part-time employment didn't provide health care. And all of a sudden, we got a groundswell of people saying, of course, those people should have health insurance. No one thinks someone shouldn't be insured. And that was not about ACS CAN employees talking that, saying that voice. It was really about volunteers saying that voice and really putting a face to what sounds like a a policy intervention that people may or may not approve of or want to support. But once they heard it through a volunteer voice, um, we were able to pass that referendum. It went to ballot. We passed that referendum. 45,000 people, right? Quote, unquote, overnight after a very long protracted campaign now have insurance coverage. Hugely impactful. Uh, same thing happened in North Carolina that ended up being through the legislature rather than the ballot. So I would just say all of those, you don't get a group of elected officials to vote for something unless you work really hard to make it happen. And our model of of an elected officials constituent, right? I live, I voted for you. 
Um, I live in your in your district, and I just want to tell you why I think it's really important that we pass Medicaid expansion. It it sounds completely different than me as a president of ACS can going in and saying, you know what, you should pass Medicaid expansion. And so that the power of that volunteer voice, and that's just one small example. Michael come up with twenty others <laughs> in the time in which he's been. Um, He's been a volunteer, but I guess the most important thing that I want your listeners to, to know is that your voice as a constituent of an elected official makes a huge difference. People see a lot on the news. They think that government isn't influenced um, by the everyday person. And I would tell you in my 15 years of experience, it is just the opposite. We get um, people to vote for issues that are important to us every single every single year in ways that you would think they probably wouldn't support it but when they hear this patient story maybe they've been through the experience themselves as a cancer patient or a survivor you can make a huge difference by elevating those issues through a constituent voice and the thing that i love and that we train volunteers on when i've had the opportunity to do that is you don't have to know, as a volunteer, as an advocate, I don't have to know the details of the policy, right? I don't have to be the policy one that understands what, you know, SB, whatever, whatever, you know, <laughs> is all about and what the details are. What I have to be able to convey is, why does this matter to me as, you know, a caregiver, as a cancer patient? Um Someone else can do. Someone else can do the the wonk part and and do get into the details. But I just have to be able to tell my story, and that's what is so effective about what we do. And why I keep, why I keep hanging around you, Lisa. <laughs> hey, you can hang around me as long as you want, my friend. But I, I do. It's just, yeah, it's just a really important um, point, and it's worth emphasizing that. Any elected officials remember stories. I mean, you'll see really um, talented, um, any sort of talented speaker, um, but any really talented politician usually starts anything that they're saying with a story. Absolutely. And those stories resonate. You know, they really, really do. And, and the more we have those stories and we can really create the narrative of why something is important um, then we're building opportunity to make a really big impact. So we're recording this episode on September the 6th, and it's actually going to drop while we're in Washington, D.C. for yeah. Leadership Summit and Lobby Day. Awesome. Um, awesome. When, we bring, when we bring 700 volunteers from across the country together um, to go on Capitol Hill and talk about issues that are important to us. Lisa, can we talk a little bit about what some of those issues are for us this year? Yeah, so we've got um, three asks, uh, as we like to call them. So that's really, it, it, it's, a, it's a volunteer's opportunity to go to Capitol Hill, go visit in person their members' offices, both in the Senate and the House. We often um, do almost 500 meetings in one day. Um, there are very few organizations, especially, um, you know, an organization, a nonprofit organization like ACS CAN, 
um, that could that can say that in one day, right? It's just a really powerful day. Um, and we have three asks. So the first is something we always call it, we call an evergreen ask because it's a requirement every single year. And that's funding um, appropriations, as we call them at the federal and state level, but it's government funding for programs that are important to us. And at the top of that list is the research appropriations that the government um provides every single year uh, for cancer research. So that funds the National Cancer Institute, the Center for Disease Control, all sorts of programs within those two entities in particular that are so important to cancer patients. We've made such incredible progress on cancer, um, but there are many, many people. I mean, we still, unfortunately, over 600,000 people die every year from cancer. There are lots of unknown therapies that need to be discovered and cancer research funding and public health are a big part of that. So that's ask number one. Second is um, really exciting emerging um, uh, technology related to um, early detection. And that is a blood-based test, test known as a multi-cancer early detection test. And I would say if someone had said those words to me, maybe even just five years ago, I would have been like, I have no idea what you're talking about. One of the amazing things about cancer and the evolution of it, you know, cancer is about 200 diseases and the evolution of, you know, the term cancer is that we're learning more and more and more about the actual biology and how to attack it literally from a scientific standpoint and a medical standpoint. And so multi-cancer early detection tests will make screening significantly easier. Right now, uh, you both of you are, uh, likely are at an age where, you know, you have certain recommended screenings. It can be complicated. You got to go to the doctor. You got to make specific appointments. You got to take time off from work. Um, we're hoping that this technology um, makes it easier to know whether you might be at high risk for cancer or even identify. And so this is not actually endorsing multi-cancer early detection tests yet, but it is creating a pathway for their reimbursement. That's another thing. We know innovation doesn't happen if there's not a, a, a profitable pathway um, for companies that have to do an incredible investment over sometimes decades to bring that therapy to market. So that's our second ask. And third, um, it's Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. Um, in September. And um, one of the things that the American Cancer Society is best known for is its annual um, publication on cancer facts and figures. So we're really the one voice of truth. It is the most cited publication in all of science, which is really an incredible thing to be able to say. But it's really all the statistics around cancer incidents. So how many people are getting cancer, where they're getting cancer, the parts of their body, as well as geography and mortality statistics. And so what we found, you know, cancer incidence and mortality has been declining significantly since 1991. Um, but prostate cancer is doing exactly the opposite. We're seeing, um, you know, terrible trends as it relates to prostate cancer. And so we are now bringing the power of the American Cancer Society to join with others. And so we have a bill at the federal level called PSA for him. And it's a screening um, bill that would say that if you are at high risk of prostate cancer, so that means you don't have to be a certain age, maybe your dad has been diagnosed with prostate cancer, you're, you know, so if that is the case, you will have no copay. Um, if we get this bill passed, no copay to get your screening. And so we know that any sort of, you know, 
expense to screen. Um, for many people, it just it's a barrier. And so anything that we can do to reduce those barriers. And so those are the three areas that we're focused on, early detection, prostate cancer, and funding for cancer research. Very cool. It's a, an exciting agenda and, you know, looks, you know, with as particularly the multi-cancer early detection te um, bill, but also research funding looks it forward to, you know, that the work that needs to be done to to hopefully one day, as we all hope, bring cancer to an end. Yes. So. That's awesome that, you know, the advocacy does go all the way to Washington, D.C., and you, you do have a voice there. Um, why would you say it's so important for those government officials to understand that they have a role in fighting cancer the same way that volunteers do, the same way the organization does? Why is it important for the government officials to realize they have that job as well? Yeah, so much of healthcare is, you know, it's it's a it is a policy issue, right? It gets regulated, has to be regulated at the state level. Um, there's a, I often say that if we if we weren't in the realm of healthcare, maybe state government wouldn't be as important in the fight against cancer. But that's not the case um, for us. Obviously, we're in a healthcare environment. So, elected officials make decisions every day about what issues they're going to care about and what issues they're gonna support. And so part of the volunteer's job and our job is to tell them why is it important to give the National Cancer Institute um, an increase from the amount of money they got last year or not cut that funding? What, what exactly are they doing with that money and why should you think that it's important? Um, and so what we're trying to do is make sure that elected officials understand just like a scientist in a lab they just have a big role to play if they support um, making health insurance more affordable. That means more people are going to be able to purchase health insurance. More people are going to get screened. More people, if they detect their cancer, will get their cancer diagnosis earlier rather than later. That's all good, right? That that all helps us with our uh, with our goals and our outcomes. But we can't make that happen just by talking about it. A law has to be passed, funding has to be dedicated, and the only people that can do that are people who vote, right, on these laws. It, let them be them a state legislator. I mean, they vote yes or no. So we're trying to convince them. Maybe we want them to vote no because it's a bad bill and maybe it's supporting, you know, big tobacco who, you know, is trying to addict kids to their products. So we want maybe we want them to vote against that. Maybe we want them to vote for more money for a screening program like mammography. And so, and they have a choice to make because they're, that's what their job, that's why they were elected. They get, they vote every day on issues. And so we try to draw the connection between a law that's important to our cancer outcomes, to the thing that they have to do that day, that legislative session that year, which is vote. So that's how we, I think about it. And I think that when we talk through, it's, it's, um, it's a really compelling conversation. And Michael probably has many stories of being able to convince a legislator who wasn't prone to support something for, for political reasons, oftentimes. Sure. But the more you kind of talk to them, you bring your story. So Michael, I'd love to hear a vignette of one time when you changed someone's mind, because I know that you <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. How about um, attempted to change someone's mind? That's I don't good. know. That's good I too. don't know that it worked, but um, when we were um, 
after the Affordable Care Act was implemented, um, I was flown up for, I, I think it was early in the, one of the steps in the process of trying to repeal um, Obama, uh, overturn the Affordable Care Act. And we had a multi-group, it was a um, coalition lobby day, and I was flown up to represent Tennessee because Senator Alexander was chair of the help committee. And um, as it happened, because my background working on staff for ACS Canvas Media Advocacy, um, I worked with a local newspaper reporter um, to get a story in the paper that I was coming up to DC to meet with Senator Alexander. He was on my plane reading that article as I walked past him. <laughs> and said, Senator, I'm looking forward to meeting you to talk about the Affordable Care Act um, when we get to D.C. And this was back when DCA still had shuttle buses from from the plane <laughs> to, the, to the terminal. And I ended up standing right in front of him <laughs> on the shuttle. So I ended up basically having my conversation with him on the shuttle from the airport from the plane into the airport to security when he finally was like, okay, I really have to go. But <laughs> I had, you know, I had like 15 minutes with him to try to convince him that, you know, he needed to, he needed to support keeping the Ameri the Affordable Care Act intact. I love so. that story. And it is um, so much of what we do can be, very deliberate, um, but also really opportunistic. So um, standing on an airport shuttle is, is a good example of opportunistic for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. And, I, and I know there are lots of other stories among my fellow volunteers of, of similar circumstances and of just, you know, having the opportunity to make your case. And ultimately it's up to the legislator to decide based on the information that you give them and the story that you tell them. So, yeah, for sure. So Lisa, switching gears a little bit, um, ACS CAN is a nonprofit organization. And so fundraising is elemental to the, to the existence and the continuation of our mission. Um, and we have a, our big signature fundraiser is coming as part of our leadership summit and lobby day, Lights of Hope. Um, talk about what Lights of Hope is. Yeah, so Lights of Hope is this phenomenal um, annual fundraiser. It's now called Lights of Hope Across America. It has evolved because of COVID. We used to just do the event in D.C., and it now happens in towns and on steps of state capitals across the entire country. And the whole, it, it, the whole idea is that there are so many stories out there, and this is a visual representation of that through a light of hope. And these are literally luminaria, so small bags um, that get beautifully decorated. I wish I had one one with me. I'd hold one up. Um, that really represent anyone who's been touched by cancer. It may be someone who we've actually lost to cancer and where... Um, Memorial, memorial, memorializing them. Uh, and maybe someone that we're just honoring a caregiver who's just done phenomenal um, uh, support of someone who is, is, has, is going through or has gone through cancer. And so we, um, it's a, it's a grassroots um, fundraising activity. 
And last year, we raised over $850,000 for that event. It is, as you can well imagine, a nationwide organization that's grassroots organization like the American Cancer Society has a budget that needs to be um, raised every single year. And so it's just an opportunity to visually see just an incredible spectacle in Washington, D.C. or at any of these events. And every single bag um, tells a story. And you'll see the na someone's name um, or maybe a group of people. And you it's an overwhelming visual. Um, but it's also um, to me, it, it's always very it's always very sobering, but it also gives me a lot of hope, makes me feel really proud of the number of people that we're um, elevating their stories, their voices um, and making it better for the future. So I, it is an, it is a signature event. Um, Michael is a master in um, fundraising around that event. And, but it's, it's something that everyone can participate in. We let you, you know, the, each light of hope is only a $10 donation. We have opportunities for sponsorships as well, but it really allows, like I decorate bags every year, one for my dad, um, who is, a, um, has, is turning 90, um, is a sarcoma survivor. My sister, as well as survivor, a breast, a young breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed when she had a four-year-old and a six-year-old. So, you know, there are all these stories that give you an opportunity to reflect a little bit um, and also allows our elected officials to take lots of video, lots of um, showing on social media. And again, it's just a, this incredible visual effect of all these individual people that have been touched by this disease. And I'm really, really proud of the growth of this event. It's just, it's gone from literally a, like a $50,000. I think the first time we did it, maybe it was even under $25,000 that we raised. Right. And, you know, now, I mean, and, and again, there are 18 million survivors of cancer. There are so many people. Think about them and all of their families and the 600,000 people who die every year and the 1.9 million people who are diagnosed. I mean, all of those numbers are individuals at the end of the day, people who are loved by their parents and their friends and their colleagues and um, their voices matter, their experiences matter. And this is a way for us to show that. The thing that I love about Tuesday, which is kind of the day that all of that we go to Capitol Hill and we have lights of hope in the evening is, is, and I've said this before, we go to, we go to Capitol Hill to tell our stories during the day and then we go to Lights of Hope and have, you know, the 60,000 people tell their stories to us yes. as we are walking around and, and reflecting on the Lights of Hope bags that are there. And that just, it's, it is um, humbling and hopeful at the same time to know that this is the impact that we're having on the work that we're doing, uh, whether we're volunteers or we're staff, this is the impact that we're having on the, the fight against cancer. And it's, it's, it's an amazing day. It's, it truly is my favorite day of the year because I of, know mine of too. how big that day is from start to finish. So yeah. Very it's awesome that the, the volunteers are able to kind of lead that effort too, and of the lights of hope and kind of share their stories there. Um, and then, of course, ORU is a sponsor of Lights of Hope. So why is corporate, you know, sponsorship and support important for the mission of Lights of Hope and as um, 
of ACS CAN as a whole? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because I think that um, I always say that any stakeholder that's important to a cancer patient is important to ACS CAN. And, you know, so many people, companies have a huge role to play, particularly if they're, you know, they offer health insurance, for example, or one of their employees, maybe they have nothing, you know, that they're a small company, but one of their employees' mom is going through cancer, right? They're living experiences. And so they, they too want to have an opportunity to join the fight against cancer. And so companies, um, different organizations, um, really ACS can gives them an opportunity to elevate them, their organization and, you know, what they term to be, or believe to be really, really important, which is supporting their employees, um, and letting everyone know through their sponsorship, that they um, they too care about the fight against cancer and they're willing to help us move that those issues forward. So we rely extensively on sponsorship um, for our events, um, corporate corporate sponsors to um, engage with us, not just um, financially though that is critically important. They also bring a lot of thought leadership to our work, right? Different perspectives. Um, things that we maybe um, need to understand better so that we're better serving a cancer patient. So any company, one, either because they want to support their employees, two, because of the work that they may do um, from a, you know, just social engagement, community engagement standpoint, it really gives a corporation an opportunity to say, this is important. We know this is important to you and we want you to know that it's important to us as well as a company. And we, we can show that by sponsoring this event and talking about this event. So that is lifeline for us, for sure. And um, really always appreciate um, companies that sort of look at what we do and, you know, money's always tight. You always have to make a lot of really hard decisions. And if a company says, you know, this is important and we're willing to support it, that makes me really proud as the head of the organization. So couldn't do it without them. Awesome. Um, so Lisa, we've been talking so much progress has been made and, you know, yet at the same time, there's so much to do um, to, get to that goal of ending cancer as we know it. What drives you, and I know you've talked about this a little bit, but what drives you to keep doing this work? Yeah, I've often said that um, one of the things that makes me proud to come to work every day is my experience with cancer is very, very different than the experience my parents had. My, you know, my dad had an aunt who died at 22 years old of breast cancer. Um, and so, and here's my dad, 90 years old and a, a cancer survivor. I have four children. So for me, this is a passionate thing. I want their experience to be with cancer to be as different as mine has been as my their grandfather and their great grandparents. And so it drives me because I really believe that we have made incredible progress, but there is so much progress to be made. And it won't happen again just because someone's thinking about it. You got to do something, right? This right. is a very visceral thing. And so it drives me because the, the work that I'm doing in particular in this role that I have is that I really believe that what we do every single day 
is changing the future of cancer. I, I just, I, I believe it in my soul and I, I've seen it. And I just think that if we weren't advocating for um, pathways to reimbursement for innovative therapies or innovation to early detection, you know, it's not going to happen, right? So yeah. I believe what really drives me is that we're making a difference. And um, I just, I think that anyone who wants to find an outlet to maybe channel something that if they feel really passionately about cancer, they want to change maybe an experience that they've had. Maybe it's um, not getting equitable care. I haven't really talked as much as I should have about health equity that underlies everything that we do. Um, we say our, our vision of the American Cancer Society is to end cancer as we know it, comma, for everyone. Um, and that for everyone is a really, really important um, thing for everyone, for people to really think about. Not everyone has a fair, equitable, just opportunity um, to diagnose their cancer early, to get the best possible treatment, um, and to have support through that process. So I, I just really firmly believe that patient voice needs to be elevated. Like we can't have only certain people talking about cancer. We have to have the people who are experiencing it um, be a really loud voice. And I love that that's the way in which we do our work. Um, and I'm really proud of it. One of the things I love, Lisa, too, is we're, you know, I've been around the organization for 20 years, you know, um, in, in different roles, obviously, but, um, we are changing in a very dramatic way with affinity groups and inviting people to the table to be, be get, become involved, become advocates. Um, because really, you know, most of the face of the organization looks like you and me, right? Yep. Older white people, you know, but we're inviting to the table um, young adults, um, young advocates, um, the LGBTQIA plus and allies. We've got that affinity group. We've got the Black Cancer Caucus. We have the Hispanic Cancer Caucus. Um, the, you know, because the table needs to be bigger. We need to bring more people to the table if we're going to, you know, as you mentioned, end cancer we know it, comma, for everybody, right? So talk about the importance of that. Yeah, so look, Cancer disparities are horrifying. Um, if you look at um, everything from um, the burden of, of tobacco, right? So the tobacco industry has been predatory in marginalized communities, black communities for decades. And it it's reflected in the tobacco burden in the black community uh, impoverished communities, which is in and of itself so ironic, right? Um, mm -hmm. So expensive to right. smoke cigarettes. And so if you look at the statistics, um, cancer, the face of cancer is not older white people. It is, cancer is certainly a disease of the aged, but marginalized communities um, uh, definitely carry a heavier burden 
of cancer. And so when I became president in 2019, you kind of looked at our volunteer network and the diversification of elected officials nationwide was like, this is, this is not just the right thing to do. It's definitely a business imperative. And so what's really important about that? We need those voices of those communities, one, to understand what their burden is, what their cancer risk is, and know that there's something that can be done about it. it is, cancer is not a hopeless diagnosis like it was 50 years ago when my dad was growing up, right? Or he was a young man. Um, and so, and we need those voices and those lived experiences to be elevated in the, in the conversations that we're having because that's where in, the impact is. And so one of the ways we've done that is what you've talked about, Michael, which is creating communities through these affinity groups, through these caucuses. And what I'm hopeful of, and I believe it's happening now, is that you have um, a young Black um, woman who is in college and is looking for something to do, right? Mm -hmm. And she's seeing the American Cancer Society does a Relay for Life on her campus. And that committee of college students, young adults that are executing it. Some of them look like her. Maybe they've had her experience and she's like, I want to go talk to them. I want to understand. I want to learn more about what they're doing. My grandmother has cancer. I've had to help take care of her. I've seen what this has done to my family. I want to fight back. If they look at an organization and there's no connection or they don't see visibly any connection to what their experience has been, they're just going to be less likely to want to join us. And so for me, it's about diversifying the voices that we're elevating because the face of cancer is very diverse. All walks of life, all levels of income, all every single nook and cranny of the of the country. And so that's another reason why the geography is so you know important that geographic coverage is so important. So but I think that, again, you can't just say we're an organization that cares about health equity. It's really important to us. I could say that till I was blue in the face, right? You need to show it. You need yep. to invest in it. You need to be a really good partner. You need to be an ally, not just let us tell you what you need to do. I think my journey, uh, you know, particularly since 2019, when I took over this this role, has been a really important one in that regard. And I think that it's just, I can't say enough about how important it is that we are reflecting the experiences and the faces and the voices of all of cancer, not just people who are fortunate enough to be able to go to someplace like a Memorial Sloan Kettering or an MD Anderson, amazing, amazing institutions. But 80% of cancer patients get their cancer care in the community. That's where cancer patients are. And so we need to be cultivating them in, in the fight and uh, making, the, making, the, making sure they feel welcome, included, and powerful in their own right in fighting um, this, this fight. Well, like it's very, very exciting days, I know, for the organization. So, so exciting. I think it's awesome, you know, bringing all the, you know, volunteers from all the different walks of life and wanting to, you know, make that table bigger of the volunteers. So kind of on that note, for our listeners that are listening, how can they support the work that you all are doing and how can they get involved? Yeah, so it's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. Um, so we have this 
phenomenal website. It's called fightcancer.org. Super easy to remember. Uh, you know, social media is the thing. Um, as my dad says, go to the Google. Uh, and so, you know, I think that um, that is one of the best places to start. But what I want everyone who's listening to this to know is that there is a volunteer near you because we literally cover all 50 states, um, all congressional districts, and there's a warm voice at the end of a phone call, email, um, in a, a, that can tell you more about what our agenda is. On the website, you can drop down, find your state, and see what the agenda might be from a legislative standpoint. Um, but I would say that if you have any passion um, or the you know real drive to fight back, really think about how, you know, the future experience of people who hear that they have cancer can can be different than what it is today, then I really encourage you to think about um, volunteering with the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. We are um, a welcoming, high energy, um, but extraordinarily impactful group of people. And so super easy. Um, my guess is that you can reach out to Michael directly as well. Very open arms. And, you know, one of the things we like to say is, you know, sending an email can take literally less than five minutes, right? You sign up to be a volunteer. Volunteering can literally be sending an action alert, we call it, sending an email to your elected official saying, hey, um, you know, there's talk of uh, funding being cut for cancer research. I want you to know I'm your constituent. And I think that's a bad idea. Literally, the email's all right there. You just hit send. Two, I want to actually go to an event. I want to uh, learn more. I want to be a leader. And I want to eventually go to Washington, D.C. and be able to meet with my member of Congress in Washington. There's such a long continuum of ways in which people can get involved. Um, but I, it's a, it's a big tent, and we welcome everyone. And I'd love to hear from anyone who's interested. Absolutely. If you're listening to this, reach out. <laughs> Call me, man. I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Um, Lisa, last question for you. What brings you joy? Uh, so this is an easy one because I just um, left there. I grew up in Maine and I have a huge extended family and four um, wonderful now young adult children. And so my joy is definitely um, combining all of those things. When I can go back to Maine, I can be at our lake house with all of my children and my incredible husband. That brings me a lot of joy. Awesome. 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 Lisa, thank you so much for spending this time with us today and getting some insight into the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. Um, uh, you know, I'm ACS Can for Life. <laughs> um, As am I, my and, friend. As am I. And, uh, yeah, it's um, certainly been the joy of my my life to be part of this organization, and I'm grateful we could have this conversation to talk, tell people more about what it is that we do together. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and giving me an opportunity to talk about something that I obviously am am very passionate about and love. But right back to you, we could not do it without you. We are so. I'm always eternally grateful. I mean, I get paid to do this job, which is sometimes <laughs> I say that. Sometimes 
it's not enough. But most of the time, it feels like it's way more than, get much more back than I give. Um, but volunteers have a choice to make every day as to how they're going to spend their very limited time. And so when they're choosing the organization and then feeling energized and committed to it, it's we're doing our job the way it needs to be done. So thank you, Michael. Matthew, so nice to meet you. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.